0: So now, if you want to incorporate this new technology between like companies and you know hospitals and health departments and academia, right? You, you you need to start connecting those folks and being the the funnel of information, but also being the the facilitators. I like to think of myself as um, you know like as old fashioned. Um, phones that you have you call the operator and the operator would physically p- connect one you know, one line of a wire to one phone line and connect the other one right making those connections happen and kind of supporting the conversations uh and as well as being the subject matter experts in in both of those fields so it's it's a multidisciplinary approach it's we have multiple goals that kind of overlap in terms of like educating and translating and like optimizing these uh these partnerships
1: But I think it's really important. Yeah,
0: Yeah, it's really important because there's a lot of applications for this uh, anywhere from the single hospital level to like international surveillance of pathogens, right? Being able to... There's the same kind of goals at all these levels of scale from the very small to the multinational. It is time
2: now for something positive.
1: We might be headed to the promised land. Of speaking the truth? And finding... Our external liberty once we internally liberate ourselves.
2: Problem can only be solved when there is a kind of coalition of conscience. Of conscience. Because conscience. that is how it works.
1: This is the beginning. It is not the finale. And that's why we're here. And that's why we rally we rally. We rally. Rally. Rally.
2: We've got to be that creative minority. Creative minority. Creative minority.
1: A way to on. get
0: in the way. I got in trouble. It was good trouble. It was necessary trouble. Franklin, I
2: know we've got to, do something, to do, something.
1: do something. Do something. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Public Access America. My name is Jason. We're gonna be joined by Dan and Jeffrey shortly. I wanted to give you some background on Dan though to let you know why this this episode's important. I met Dan back in 2018 where he was working as the social and communications director over at people of reason and progress it was a group of 30,000 scientists that were banded together to battle the misinformation of the day we were doing a podcast at the current time I had a co-host Lexi who was the original Jeffrey and she she wanted to discuss everything and dan wanted us to discuss everything so we decided to work he was collecting podcasts that would work with the people of reason and progress and we were a podcast that signed up to work with them uh, that group that organization did not pan out it was a great organization but it didn't work out and i've watched i've been dan's friend since then and we've watched each other grow and we've we've been together dan Dan was a contract tracer in Pennsylvania during COVID. He, um, as a National Guardsman, he went to hotspots all around the country addressing the situation. And he also stood and guarded our capital after 1-6. He's done so much more. He's got his uh, food inspection certification and that's cool he's gone on to even get more degrees and now he's starting something new and we're gonna talk about that next so thank you you can find um, you can find public access America anywhere you find public access America but I also want you to go over to Twitter and follow epicenter genomics that's where Dan is now and that is epicenter genomics LLC a great organization we're gonna learn about right here right now on public access america welcome back to public access america my name is jason his name is jeffrey and we are with dan one of my favorite people in the world i've known him since 2018 and we have worked and collaborated on raising the intelligence of america in the world together and i love him for that he's got a new venture going on and we are here to discuss that because I'm excited about that. Everybody knows Dan's origin story if you listen to the podcast, but here he is doing something amazing. So go ahead and go to Twitter while you're listening and follow Epicenter Genomics, and that is Epicenter Genomics LLC on Twitter. And we retweet their tweets so that I think people should know that's how important I think it is to the world. And, um, Dan, I just want to get this started. I we have some questions that we all collaborated on, and I just wanted to start with the most basic: what is genomics?
0: Yeah, well, first of all, thanks so much for <laughs> you're, you're you're very kind to say those nice things about me, and I I've loved uh, supporting the show, and I really appreciate what you guys do. So thanks again for having me on and for me talking about something I'm doing uh, a little bit. So. Yeah, so my background, um, personally, is in infectious disease epidemiology. For people who haven't shown um, listened to the show for too long, um, and I periodically come in and comment on the state of you know COVID and monkeypox and other things going on. So, uh, recently, a couple of friends of mine, really great colleagues, and I started a new venture called Epicenter Genomics, uh, which is a consulting company that's dedicated to using technology in a field called genomics to kind of advance the Um, the strengths and the abilities of public health, especially specifically for the surveillance and response to infectious diseases. So genomics is refers to, it's a branch of what we call molecular biology that's focused on the study of genomes. Now, what is a genome? It's, It's the complete set of like genetic code within like a cell or organism, right? So You know humans we have your 46 chromosomes right our genome is the entirety of those 46 chromosomes for bacteria i mean depending on the structure that they have they have a lot less genetic material because they're just like a single cell a virus it's nucleic acid it could be a dna virus or an rna virus you know what it what it carries to encode or tell itself what to do to reproduce inside a cell that is its genome and so genomics is the study of those, right? You look at the genetic codes of these organisms, right? It can be a bacteria, virus, or a human or a cow or whatever, uh, and you study those in detail um, to have a better understanding of how the biology of that organism works. Uh, and there's a lot of different applications for this. The Human Genome Project has been really was a really huge initiative and still continues to be in its own way. Um, genomics is being used to understand uh, diseases like cancer, other congenital defects. Um, trying to find um, mutations or specific genes that are associated with different conditions or high risk for cancer. Uh, but genomics is also being used in infectious diseases to study and track um, the trends of infectious diseases as they spread, as well as how those pathogens work, right, So try to better understand you know, the therapies that we can use, different antibiotic discovery, there's all kinds of, of really interesting stuff that's happening with genomics uh, across the field of biology, and it's rapidly expanding. So that's kind of the science at the core of this new venture that my friends and I started. Fantastic. I mean, you, you really kind of, you know, with, with,
2: with that, you really started to touch on what genomic epidemiology is. So, you know, maybe just a quick, clear, concise definition of what that is
0: yeah sure so for the application that we use as jeffrey said is genomic epidemiology right so think of it as the two different terms genomics right the study of genomes and epidemiology the study of the spread and risks of disease right in the context of infectious diseases genomic epidemiology is the study of the genomes of these microbes these bacteria viruses fungi parasites whatever um to identify when they are causing outbreaks and to track the spread of those, uh, pathogens. And that's been getting a lot of steam in different contexts. Um, but one kind of classic example that's, you know, become much more high profile is the COVID pandemic, right? All these variants that we talked about, we started with like alpha versus, uh, or alpha versus beta, B117, Delta, Omicron, um, all these new variants have been classified using techniques in genomic epidemiology, right? So being able to ah. study changes in trends, in what the genetic code of the virus has right what it carries the different mutations that kind of accumulate over time as the virus evolves and so you have these different variants that are classified by the shared mutations that they have that are unique to those groups right and the the naming schemes all the variants that get weird like there's Omicron um, omicron is, is a, a it's a simpler version of you know the uh, the full names based on one type of scientific lineage, but it refers to a group of viral pathogens within, you know, COVID uh, SARS, cov two viruses that all share a number of specific mutations. Um, and then the subvariants of Omicron are, they all have the Omicron, you know, nucleotide mutations, whatever. And then they have additional ones that are unique to them. So that's how we go from something like a versus B to so like B117, B11529 and the BA variants like B11529.4 dot five right it gets it gets really complicated but the the main thing to to emphasize is that all the discussion about the, the details of new variants of COVID coming out um, and the news, you know, how the new strains of influenza evolve over time, all of that is based in genomics and genomic epidemiology. So that's like the, kind of the classic example that's emerged in the last couple of years of, of how applicable this field is uh, in science.
1: It yeah. seems like that's something that's been actually lacking since we've all started learning about viruses and and omicron and COVID and all this is that we want to bury our heads in the sand and we don't want to know where it is but then we're also not catching it early so i think this is a vital thing that that i think i think people need to know this exists it's kind of like the weatherman you kind of want a really good epidemiologist on your side you know
0: absolutely and there's some world class epidemiologists that have you know developed and refined these techniques uh, uh in collaboration with you know, computational biologists and bioinformaticians—these people who have incredible, like, computational skills to study this, the evolution of microbes over time—and they have been working together for many, many years. But especially with COVID, that's um, really brought them into the fore of their collaborating, performing these surveillance. When, new, when COVID starts you know, coming to a new area or started coming to a new area in 2020, there were samples that were sent to, say, the CDC as well as to other private labs that did these analyses. The genetic material, the genomes that were uh, sequenced from those were able to be put in a domain where these scientists could collaborate. Uh, and so very quickly, we had a very good understanding of what this virus was, um, what mutations it had, what kind of risk factors were associated with those mutations, kind of as compared to previous studies of, of viruses of a, of a similar uh, origin and so it's been really important for us to emphasize that when uh when new variants of code for example arise it's not just scientists inventing something else to say oh well we need to keep the public scared or whatever like that's kind of a, a common um trope or a common response that i hear of people who are skeptical about these variants it's actually because there's a massive infrastructure happening in the, in the united states and worldwide To conduct surveillance and continue to sequence COVID uh, SARS-CoV-2 genomes and and analyze them in detail and compare them to other genomes that have been sequenced elsewhere and see what the trends are. It's it's an incredible multinational effort. But again, it's not the only um, it's not the only initiative that's focused on genomic epidemiology. Right? Genomics has been used um, to track the spread of different variants of the influenza virus, which helps us inform how we do uh, or develop new vaccines every year. Uh, It's been used extensively uh, for food safety, right? The FDA has a whole genome Uh, tracker um, uh, infrastructure that they use, like, you know, I think there was a an e coli outbreak just a few weeks ago that kind of hit the news that were in multiple states like whenever you see how do they get connect like 60 or 70 cases of this this bug for across multiple states well they did genome sequencing and compared them right genomic epidemiology um, and then in my specific example my specific focus um in my research has been on healthcare associated infections right you go into a go into a hospital for surgery you pick up a nasty infection while you're there using genomics to track the spread of those pathogens within a hospital to try and find how they're spreading and by extension, how to stop that spread with better con- techniques in infection control. So the applications for genomic epidemiology are really limitless um, in, in terms of epi- infectious disease epi. <laughs> Damn.
1: I love, he asked, he answered my question. I was going to ask for specific examples to where genomic epidemiology actually saved the planet. And you, <laughs> you went ahead and did that. I appreciate it. I'm that.
0: sorry. I, I went ahead of the plan. My bad. But no, I, I, just, love I it. just get so excited talking about this stuff. It's really fun.
1: That's why you're my friend. That's why you're our friend, because you get excited about this stuff.
2: So. <clears throat> So I'm gonna deviate just a little bit because I feel like, you know, we're yeah. we're we're touching on something that is, I think, really important and it kind of it kind of talks about, you know, it's kind of like how we've developed our, you know, vaccine policy and, and how we're looking at addressing COVID. But it also I think, you know, the question is is with the rise of, you know, the the new vaccine technology, the question is is what link between your field of study, you know, what the company's gonna be doing and new
0: vaccine technologies do you think exist? Hmm. I think the connections are really strong, and it's it's not that we're re, we're not really inventing something new in this case because it's already been do, done every day, right? Pathogen surveillance and understanding how viruses and bacteria evolve over time is, is really critical to understanding how we can stop them and how we can be prepared for future variants to arise, um, as well as for therapeutics and vaccines that can be developed, right? There's a whole... Um, For example, with, you know, drug-resistant bacteria, right, a a personal favorite of mine because it's a really serious public health crisis, Um, there's a whole field of genomic epi that's dedicated to understanding the evolution of antibiotic resistance um, and looking at the genes that encode resistance or that can be shared among different bacteria which is a whole other process, right? But uh-huh. understanding how those, you know, spread so that we're aware of the relative different threats of different um, antimicrobial resistance mechanisms in which drugs are potentially not going to work as, as often uh, on different bacteria. So under that's a whole subgroup of that. For vaccine development, right, with, um, we talked about, I think you're touching on, you know, Moderna and Pfizer's uh, mRNA-based vaccine technology. Um, but yeah, any kind of new vaccine, in order to answer the question of how do we develop a vaccine, you have to be like, well, what's out there? What's out there? What, what is the pathogen doing? How is it mutating? How is it evolving? And uh, how is it causing disease by extension of those mutations, right? With COVID, with every new spike protein or mutation that we tracked over years and over the years that um, this genomic surveillance has been going on, we've been able to follow this up with uh, detailed studies in the lab of, you know, well, is this going to be uh, able to bind more effectively uh, to a particular receptor in the cell and by extension make infection more serious or more effective or efficient, right? Um, So genomics touches on a lot of different technologies because it it gives insight into what the virus is doing in the real world. And then once we have a better idea of what's going on there, we can then take it into the lab, study the virus or the bacteria in the lab and get a better understanding of what those mutations actually mean. And so there's this interplay between what we call wet bench microbiology, right? Which is, you know, pipetting and, you know, biosafety cabinets and cell cultures and everything to study, you know, the how viruses and bacteria and pathogens work. Um, and then what we call a kind of dry lab, which is the computational bioinformatics approach of, of genomics. And there's a huge interplay where they kind of cross inform one another. And it's important to support that. But also once we have a better understanding of what a pathogen is doing, based on you know the, the joint collaborations and discoveries being made there, you know, try to push that into action, right? Now we know that there's a particular variant that's moving on and now it's particularly nasty. We now know that there's a new drug resistance mechanism that's kind of emerged and is now spreading. Right? What do we do in response to that? How do we communicate those findings in an effective way to public health officials, but also policymakers that don't have a particularly robust um molecular biology or microbiology background but they are responsible for say anything from public health to economic policy to you know the leadership of local or state or federal governments right so it's not just about what we can do with the science and how we apply that um like apply it within our own field but how do we take those findings based on genomic surveillance that we're doing and translate that into effective policy, into effective interventions, get people who are not staring at genomes on their screens of their computers for hours and hours a day, how do we get those people bought in and to collaborate with them in an effective way? That's the really key question uh, of the, the future of genomics. And that's kind of the focus of the company that we started. We wanna push this into action, intervention, policy making more effectively than just having this kind of surveillance going on or not potentially going on depending
1: on the pathogen. fantastic i find that, that little, all fascinating
2: that like that like touched on so many things that i wanted to ask about and it's like mm-hmm. okay i was gonna ask nope no i'm not gonna ask. Uh, nope, no, <laughs> I'm gonna ask uh... so 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 the real question you know and, and and this is something we've talked about before is you know the the struggle of you know public health messaging and what what sort of oh. issues do you see coming up in terms of messaging with Epid, you know epi god why I'm
1: totally epidemiology yeah.
2: epidemia you know genomic epidemiology I, I forgot the word that i needed to put in front of it and so they're like sitting going <laughs>
1: welcome to old age buddy
0: uh it's like walking into the kitchen and going why
1: was i in here
0: don't worry i still do that and i'm 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 a favorite younger than both of you i won't say my age so um, but it, it happens to all of us right but to, to your question about what are the challenges right i think the way that we conceptualize it, my colleagues and I, uh, we think about it in terms of different languages, right? So there's a language of public health, right? There's the jargon, there's you know transmission rates and reproductive numbers and in, uh, incidence versus prevalence rates and um, intervention strategies and different ways to control and stratify your research studies. There's all kind, There's the language of public health, right? Um, and there's a lot of jargon. It takes a lot of time to really become proficient in that, um, especially with regard to infectious diseases, uh, because Pathogen spread, new things emerge all the time. You have to be able to relate to how that works in like all kinds of different environments. We can think about there's a sub-language for you know, hospital infection control, and there's a different language for you know, food safety um, and, and, and food surveillance versus ah, wastewater okay. surveillance. Right? There's, there's all kinds of jargon that happens within those fields that takes a lot of time to become very proficient in. And that's important because we want people to be very proficient in those fields, right? Because we want you know people to have... Uh, good and safe and disease-free lives. Um, But when it comes to genomics, right, you think about genomic and epidemiology as as the two operative parts of this field, genomics has its own jargon and its own language that is in many ways fundamentally different, right? In genomics, we're thinking a lot about, you know, computer programming. We're using um, open source software, shell scripting, bash, using R and Python and you know, programming these different alignment structures and phylogenetic trees, and all this really complicated computational work that happens uh, in order to analyze the the multitudes of data, the gigabytes and terabytes of data that come from sequencing technology, right? And in order to become proficient in genomics, I mean, it's it's very difficult to be able to become proficient in genomics and become proficient in epidemiology together. It takes a lot of time to be able to speak both of those languages. It's like speaking two fundamentally different languages that are kind of in the same family, but not really connecting all the way. Like, you have to learn different jargon, you have to learn kind of different grammar and where people are coming from. And the way that you view infectious diseases, right? If you're looking as a genomic or or computational biologist, you're looking at potentially thousands or hundreds of uh, infections at a time from all over the world or from a massive data set. If you're working in public health, you might be working at looking at a scale of maybe as most a couple of dozen infections in a local outbreak, right? So there's different languages and different perspectives that people in public health who work in infectious diseases come from on the different sides of genomics and epidemiology. And so the real challenge is connecting those two, right? We need, you know, people who are proficient in both kind of sets of languages who can basically be interpreters between the two, who understand, who've worked in public health, who understand what it means to do case investigation, outbreak response, and program management, and and, and really understand transmission dynamics of different infectious diseases. Yeah. And that and also understand you know why you are bootstrapping your phylogenetic analysis by 100 versus 500 versus a thousand or why you're using this particular programming software uh for your your nucleotide sequence alignment as opposed to it you know a different one right and so when you put those people down in the same meeting room a lot of times they talk past each other because their priorities are different their jargon and the language that they're Brought up in is different. Um, And so sometimes things just don't get done, not because of lack of interest, but just of lack of connection. And so the real challenge in the field is being able to connect those two fields together in productive and meaningful ways that lead to interventions. And the, the linchpin, quite literally, in my opinion, is the people who can speak both need to speak both. They need to be able to understand genomics and epidemiology, be there in the meeting room, make stuff happen, to be able to help the genomics people understand the goals and desires of the public health people and vice versa. So again, that's a major focus of the company is not just being, you know, just genomics people who always just look at, you know, you know, pathogen genomes and and trans and study the evolution over time, or just being siloed into public health departments or, or hospital infection control, but actually bouncing between those groups and relating to both of them and being able to, you know, connect the different jargon um, that those groups use so that everyone understands what everyone else is talking about. And then that's when magic happens. That's when interventions happen. That's when people stop getting sick because of new technologies emerging, when people are able to communicate and connect with each other. And we need the people who are the true genomic epidemiologists who speak both languages to be those people in the middle making that happen.
1: So you're going to be a funnel point, a communication funnel point in a way yes that's the goal
0: right there's private companies that are uh, developing all kinds of amazing technologies and diagnostics and molecular assays and things like that to, to identify infectious diseases there's hospitals and health departments um that need the answers on from that what those companies produce and then there's you know academic uh, medical centers that have incredible excellence in this genomic surveillance right and a lot of times those groups get siloed um mm. because of their you know their various different priorities Um, And, you know, when you, you don't necessarily learn about what a single nucleotide polymorphism or a SNP is when you are doing hospital infection control because it's not really relevant to your training. You're focusing more on how to conduct, how to, how to perform your surveillance based on, you know, you're told that this is the particular pathogen that happens and being able to respond to that. Understanding risk factors, being able to communicate with um, hospital staff on how to, you know, perform proper hand hygiene and proper cleaning disinfection and sterilization techniques. There's, there's a whole skill set there, but that doesn't really, Include genomics because it hasn't really needed to in order for mm. it to be good enough now. So now, if you want to incorporate this new technology between like companies and you know hospitals and health departments and academia, right? You 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 need to start connecting those folks and being the the funnel of information, but also being the the facilitators. I like to think of myself as um, you know like as old-fashioned. Um, phones that you have you call the operator and the operator would physically p- connect one you know, one line of a wire to one phone line and connect the other one right making those connections happen and kind of supporting the conversations uh and as well as being the subject matter experts in in both of those fields so it's it's a multidisciplinary approach it's we have multiple goals that kind of overlap in terms of like educating and translating and like optimizing these uh these partnerships
1: well, but the i think it's really important yeah
0: Yeah, it's really important because there's a lot of applications for this, uh, anywhere from the single hospital level to like international surveillance of pathogens, right? Being able to, there's the same kind of goals at all these levels of scale from the very small to the multinational. Shit.
1: That's a lot of data, Jeffrey. That sounds like your bag.
2: yes, it is. You know, and that's, and that's the thing is, is that, you know, when you look at it from a data perspective, it's like, we can't exactly... Talk about answers if we can't really show it, and you know even like because you know uh, essentially what what Dan is working on is, is essentially what I kind of went to school for, but more in a business sense than than an epidemiology sense. Is is that you've got one person working on policy who is you know they're trying to make whatever rules and regulations are going to help make sense. You've got mm-hmm. the company who is you know trying to figure out how do they meet their needs and then you've got the general public who you know is trying to get x y and z and oftentimes you know marrying those three is very difficult because you know your your corporate person doesn't necessarily have a whole lot of time to hear what it is you're trying to say because they're they're like bottom line how does this affect the company right the public oftentimes they don't have the ability to understand know what it is that you do like i explained multiple times what it is that i do and people genuinely like start to glass over and then you got the policy where they're like that's great but how does that help me what is what do i what do i need to do and that communication gets real difficult real fast and so like you know even like in my field of risk you know And we are the ones that start to see the emerging trends before policy ever catches up, before corporate ever catches up, before the public even knows what's going on. And trying to marry all of those interests into one, you know, Mm. group, one concise one, one one message that can be easily understand understood and interpreted by all three parties mm-hmm. is very difficult and so like I can understand exactly what Dale's going for because like it's not easy to try and communicate three separate ways what's happening
1: yeah well he's Especially always been, he, you've always what? been the communicator you've always wanted to find a way to communicate all this to all people so I, I it makes sense that you're doing this.
0: Well, thank you. I, I appreciate that. Um, I think it's. I think to Jeffrey's point as well, it's not just about the jargon and the where, where everyone's coming from and their backgrounds and everything. It's also about the priorities everyone has, right? Um, right. Academia is going to have different priorities than public health is going to have different priorities from hospital executives versus mm-hmm. you know policymakers, right? Everyone wants to know what the bottom line is for them and what it means. And oftentimes, you know, when you come from a different perspective and have different goals. Sometimes those those don't translate into the best outcomes for everyone, and that's not anyone's particular fault. Um, but there are definitely opportunities for, especially for the field of genomics and you know infectious disease epidemiology, for those connections to be more robust. Uh, so that you know the innovation that is happening you know in this field is act- actually kind of comes to fruition and comes full circle because there's been incredible advances in the, the technology of genomics in the past 15, 20 years, right? We're, we're, we're orders of magnitude, you know, many orders of magnitude more efficient and more cost effective at analyzing microbial genomes than we were just 20 years ago. Right. You know, I, think, I think in early, early 2000s, getting a full bacterial genome sequenced based on the technology that was available then would be tens of thousands of dollars. Now you can do it for like 70 in a couple of days. And, you know, with that massive advancement in the strength of that technology, what is holding people back from leveraging that most effectively? And the answer is, you know, communication and and engagement, in, in our opinion, right? How do we get people to engage with this work, understand its value, and be able to adjust and evolve their policies and their education and their training to at least be familiar with the advantages of this new technology doesn't mean you have to become fluent you don't have to take every infection preventionist in the country every inf- epidemiologist who works in the public health department and make them experts in in genomic analyses of viral pathogens right you don't have to do that right but at least get in to appreciate you know the value added of this technology uh, and have the policies be evolved To incorporate this more effectively so that there's a win-win around right and you know genomic surveillance is much more sensitive it's very effective there's a lot of benefits to it um there's even though it does take time to learn how to do it you don't have to get everybody to know how to do it you just have to get people to appreciate it want to implement it and have that buy-in to translate it into effective policies and that is our goal as a company right be those conduits for those communications to happen And whatever the barriers are to that happening, is it, oh, my company doesn't know enough about what genome sequencing is, or we haven't had these productive conversations with this particular hospital C-suite, right? Being able to fix those issues just to let the stream of information flow naturally so that there's a really good policy outcome at the end and genomics is fully integrated. And then at the end of the day, Fewer people are getting sick and fewer people are dying because surveillance is more effective, response is more effective because of this yeah. new technology really being
1: leveraged. I think that's the point that the public wants to hang its hat on and it misses is that people, if you could communicate this stuff better between departments, between silos, these, these, these pandemics aren't pandemics, right? They're, they're caught early and often, and that's what you're working to do. You were talking about genomic surveillance, and I, I think about um, testing sewer water, right? T- testing wastewater to find polio. And I think that we the infrastructure being there... So when you say surveillance, do you mean like hospital surveillance or public surveillance like that?
0: so it de- it depends right surveillance is a general term that's used in in public health to just like we want to see what diseases are out there for what particular at what particular time right, right. but what what's your
1: eye what's your eyeballs for that
0: so it right now a lot of times surveillance ha- oh, and before the era genomic surveillance was predominantly based on you know people getting sick with a right. particular pathogen and then you do some testing to try to figure out what it was you would have to do all these wet lab techniques to you know, antibody assays and, and biochemical assays to see, okay, well, you have this particular pa- bacteria, um, you look at it under a microscope with a gram stain, well, it's gram negative, it you know, coagulates positive, you know, catalase negative, right? There's all these like biochemical yeah. molecular uh, assays that you can identify. And then from there, you'd be able to identify um, or, or confirm what species it was, or if it was something new, or it was something old with a new twist on it from a new mutation, right? And so that takes time, that takes effort, and it's still used very um, uh, predominantly today, um, but that can be used at any scale, right? This is similar technology was used you know, at an individual hospital. Someone gets sick while well, you send a sample down to the lab, they analyze it, right? The CDC and the FDA and all these, you know, the, three, the three-letter health agencies in the federal government, they have labs based on the same technology to identify these pathogens where samples are sent to them. Right. And now it's getting interesting where you can start using genomics as either a supplement or as an alternative to that, you know, where you can get an answer fairly quickly and also much more sensitively. Right. You're not just talking about is this E. coli versus Klebsiella? Is this SARS-CoV-2 versus influenza? It's like, okay, now with within a couple of hours or a couple of days, depending on which technology you use, I have an idea not only just what pathogen this is. But look at the mutations it has and how similar this is to another pathogen that was identified in three states over two weeks ago. Wait a second. There might be a common source for this, right? Um, um, I, there's there's the evolution from, you know, the biochemical assays to something that was, we called pulse fields gel flexoresis or, or, or PFGE, where you take a genome and like, cut it up with enzymes, and then there'll be like a barcode that you could kind of run out in a gel and like you compare barcodes, right? Much more advanced, but still less sensitive than actually looking at like nucleotide by nucleotide, ACTG, having that level of sensitivity. So uh, genomics is definitely not going to permanently, you know, sideline these other diagnostics, in my opinion. Um, I don't Mm -hmm. think it's going to happen. But it is a really useful tool with which we can evolve our field of surveillance, which can be at a hospital level, it can be at a county level, it can be at a single, you know, building sewer water level, or a single cooling tower for Legionella, or it can gotcha. be national, international, right? It's 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 not sur- it's not that there's multiple definitions of surveillance. It's the same idea of like looking out for pathogens that can be causing disease. You just have to adjust your scale based on what focus <laughs> you have in particular.
1: Sure, I just. When you think about surveillance infrastructure in the public, you want that. But it, it's what you're saying sounds like people need to go to the hospital, get tested, they find something, and then it's addressed. It's it's In real time, it's not predictive. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's not predictive. Um, I don't think there's some
0: aspects of genomics where you can kind of predict to see what might be going on. And there's uh, a lot of research happening into... Uh, using past data from pathogens to see where the next mutations might be, and that's actually was pretty relevant during COVID. Uh, right. But I think what's really powerful about um, genomics, especially in the last few years, is that there's been technology that's that's uh, come out where you can go from you know dipping you know a bucket of into a sewer to getting a full what's called metagenome, which is just like whatever the genetic material is in your sample. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can get that done in you know a few hours to maybe a day and having a pretty good accuracy and a good understanding of what's what's hanging out in your wastewater, right? So you can go out and do this active surveillance at a much larger scale than you could before because of this advance in technology, as well right. as the recent advances in data storage, right? You think about where we were 25, 30, 40 years ago, how many how many dollars per gigabyte would it be to to store data? Genomics is very data heavy, right? There's a like, for example, my um my uh My master's thesis, I was looking at uh, like 3,000 bacterial genomes from a single hospital. And uh, the total raw data of those genomes was like 15 gigabytes, which by comparison, if you download a movie for streaming on your laptop or whatever, not that we do that anymore with like Netflix or Amazon, right? That would be like two or four gigabytes of data, right? That just gives you a scale of how much there is. But because of the advances in technology in in computer science and data storage, as well as the advances in actually, you know, developing the technology to actually do genome sequencing, these have kind of converged where it's now much cheaper, much more effective. There's now a, 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 a sequencing platform that's the size of, you know, a cell phone that you can fit in your pocket, costs thousand dollars, right? And you can use its technology. I've done it before. You go from You know, looking and pulling a sample to sequencing it in like a day, and you can have a really good idea of of the, the genetic content of whatever pathogens are in your sample in hours to maybe a day, as opposed to weeks to months of assembling a single really purified genome, which is where we were in the late 90s, early 2000s. So incredible, incredible advances in sick technology that need to be implemented in order to really propel public health into the 21st century. And how do we do that again? By connecting the interested parties to get them to realize the common ground they have and adjust their goals and, and implement this technology so that this more accurate, more precise, faster surveillance method is more available for their goals to ultimately stop people from getting sick. Agreed absolutely
2: so what is the bottleneck do you see like with that your company is you know hoping to address and hoping to alleviate
0: yeah i think a lot of it comes down to um like i mentioned before the the education piece where or the translation piece right there's a lot of people out there who are frankly we we we're pretty we're comfortable in genomics we've published a bunch of papers and have a bunch of academic training in genomics right uh, there's a lot of people who know more than we do um, about how to really analyze and develop new software and, and evolve software to have a better understanding of what bacterial or viral or fungal or or parasite genomes are telling us right mm-hmm. when we analyze them uh, that that is there there's not really a need for us to forge new ground of that because there's experts who are doing so much more than we ever have already pushing that really far forward. Similarly, there's a lot of experts in public health surveillance and and, and you know, public health departments and in hospital infection control that are do, making incredible strides in, the, in their policy making and their education piece, right? But like I said, those, those groups are kind of silent. Um, there's not a whole lot of overlap. It's starting to happen. Um, but now we want to really break into the markets where genomics is not really as mainstream, right? How do we stop genomics or not stop genomics? How do we get genomics out of the major like tertiary hospital academic medical centers and the state health departments and the federal health departments, right? Or the federal, you know, the NIH, FDA, whatever, CDC. How do we take that from being mainstream there to going to, you know, individual small community hospitals? Uh, and making sure that they are able to access this, these new advances in technology, right? What bottlenecks exist there? A lot of times, it's education and awareness, uh, not just you know training in how to do the genome sequencing technology. You don't need everyone to be trained up in that, but you do need people to be aware and appreciative of it, and to be aware that you know you can incorporate this into your work. And how how do you connect? Well, you have a lab doesn't really have any sequencing technology. Do you want it involved in your lab, or do you want to start having a partnership with another? You know organization that can do sequencing for you how to connect those um resources together right so those that problems wow. like. de-siloing these other groups that are essential to public health that happen to be like at the local scale individual hospitals individual universities companies that do wastewater surveillance local public health departments that if they wanted to do genomics You know, we they would have to engage these higher up groups and it would take time. And the reason why I know this takes time is because I've been there, right? I have worked in a local health department during the COVID pandemic and had to struggle and beg, borrow, and plead just to get a single genome sequence up the chain to our higher headquarters to try to get it back. And by the time it came back, right, it wasn't really useful anymore because the outbreak had already kind of come and gone. Right. Yeah. So I've been there and my colleagues have also been there that we've worked in, in hospital infection control. We've worked in, uh, like I have a background in the military public health. Um, we've worked in a local government public health organization. One of, one of our co-founders is a clinician. He's trained to, 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 as a physician to care for patients, right? We've seen where all of these challenges could be addressed with better genome sequencing technology, whether or not it's actually the technology in that particular location, whether or not it's better connections or communications or policies connecting groups on the ground, caring for patients and the health agencies that can do some of the technology. We've been there and we've we've struggled through these frustrating elements that we've, we've, we've kept hitting brick walls on. And so having been on both sides of having incredible access to genome sequencing technology to train ourselves up on microbial genomics, as well as being on the side of public health where we know where those could be better implemented and seeing which opportunities are being missed. Now we have a really solid idea of how to de silo those groups outside of the federal level, like thinking locally, thinking individual hospitals, individual health departments, right? Um, those, that we have that experience from both sides to be able to chart a clear path forward for different agencies because of our collective experience.
1: Wow, you know, I think to myself, all of these people during Covid that thought they knew what a vaccine was and all the rhetoric going around. And I used to tell people there's there's thousands of professionals researching this. You don't need to have the opinion. You need to support the voices that have the information. And this just reminds me that no matter how much I try and learn about vaccines, you're always going to know more and I appreciate you doing that. So I don't have to,
0: well, it's it's not just about who knows more. Who's it's it's not it's not just about the knowledge piece. It's the it's the buy-in and the engagement from different groups because right. implementing implementing genomics in these these places where genome sequencing technology has not really been used is is a steep learning curve for for a bunch of different reasons, right? And what we really pride ourselves on is because we have this multidisciplinary experience. We haven't just been siloed into. You know, pathogen surveillance with genomics, staring at computers for hours and then, although I did a lot of that for my thesis <laughs> and, you know, Mustafa, my co-founder, definitely did as well. Um, we have that experience. We, we know what it's like, but we've, we've been in the meeting rooms with multiple entities of different backgrounds, and we, we've been able to make those connections before um, and, and really bring people together from the hospital side, the pathogen surveillance side, the, um, the local health department side, as well as the computational co- component of it. To, to make these happen. And uh, our CEO, um, Alex Sunderman, is, has been an amazing asset uh, to make those things happen. He's he's made some incredible discoveries. So even though this is a new venture for the three of us to kind of embark on together as, as, as a leadership team, um, it's, it's not new to us, right? We have worked in these multidisciplinary environments. We have worked in different settings. We have been able to kind of compare our genomics training to the implementation of public health. And now we can uh, you know, we can bring that all together with a combined mission and focus and vision of this individual company. So the company's new, but our experience is certainly is not.
1: Agreed. That's why you've been on the show for four years, <laughs> so that people <laughs> would, people would know you're the voice people trust. And I wanted to ask: Is any of this information that you're creating going to be public facing?
0: Yes. Um, so we have we're engaged in social media. We do a lot on LinkedIn and Twitter. So we we want to keep people posted on what's going on there. Um, but what we there's obviously when you ever ha, you have a private company and business or whatever, there's going to be times where you know we have non-disclosure agreements and you're working with companies with proprietary data and in, information. Right. So we can't just like publicly publicize. Hey, we're working with everyone. You know, X company doing Y thing for Z reason. Right. We can't always be like that. But there's right. it's definitely important to us to have this public conversation because our goal is to be the springboard for genomics to get out of kind of the niche multinational federal big budget surveillance gurus and into the mainstream of public health for the rest of the country. Right. Yeah. And so a lot of that, we, uh, we still publish papers. I actually just had a preprint come out um, as based on a master's thesis that we're going to post uh, and share. And uh, we still continue to publish our work, um, on kind of on the academic translational research side, and we want to promote other voices in the field. Uh, so it's, it's we, the work that we do, we might not always be able to be super public about, but we can definitely continue to be those voices and advocates in the public domain to, uh, for people to appreciate this technology, for people to understand what our mission is, why it matters, and how it can innovate public health, and what it means ultimately for the consumers of public health, which is the public that is protected. Right. Right. So yeah, I, I, I fully agree and I fully endorse uh, wanting to continue to elevate the conversation about this. And that's why I'm grateful to be on the show today because you guys are giving us a platform to kind of share this information, uh, in a really valuable way. And I I'm very grateful for that, but yes, we want to continue that trend of, of public engagement and communication and, and, and and elevating voices as well as obviously being a successful business. So. I know we you know you
2: can kind of talk like about who you're you know the fact that you're you're scattershotting your your target audience. I mean that's the really the best way to talk about that. But I think in the end still like one of the biggest problems that we faced during the COVID pandemic was the general public. Correct. Not and 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 that, you know, we had messaging that was constantly changing, we had messaging that was constantly contradictory. We've, you know, and, and I mean also to just the general lack of understanding of science in general mm-hmm. with with the general public. Well, they said one thing and but now they've changed their mind and so, you know, it's all just politics, you know. And 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 of course, you know, for me that's my fear as as a scientist as well as is, is that we, you know, the general public doesn't understand that see, when we have our original set of data you know oftentimes we're we're trying to get our information out as quickly as we can so we can adapt whatever it is that we're doing and it's only through getting more and better information you know we change our messaging which of course you know unfortunately when you have the messaging that comes from public health it often is just like oh you no know, we've done this and now we're 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 going to do that and you know not really speak to why it is that we're changing the messaging so I guess in all of this too how do you plan to bridge that gap to the general public?
0: So I think the it's an indirect path. I think it's a very I think it's a very important question to address. I do want to say for the, the purpose of this company, right, we are, our goal is we are essentially a consulting firm, right? We are trying to work with other companies and stakeholders to try to facilitate the the execution of of genomics uh and in in infectious disease public health so that is the goal specifically of the company that said i think the outcomes of that are going to have uh if done successfully will have really good ripple effects uh, to the general public because you know something i mentioned before uh genomic genomic sequencing technology is an extremely sensitive uh method of surveillance relative to others right um if you think about you know, I t- talked about, you can look at nucleotide by nucleotide, you know, what is what is the bacterium looking like, right? What is the virus looking like? As opposed to, oh, it looks like a flu virus, it looks like a coronavirus, it looks like a, you know, E. coli, Klebsiella bacterial strain or whatever. Um, by having that technology be more or better implemented and having better uh, resolution of those pathogens as they emerge and as they're kind of caught by genomic surveillance that is going to, in turn, help public health infrastructure have a much more accurate understanding of what's going on very early on. And I think the the classic example that's most recently relevant is the monkeypox outbreak, right? Uh, we've had, I, I've I kind of raised, you know, rung my own alarm bells about monkeypox, and it looks like cases are are continuously or consistently declining for a few weeks. But I think what's really important to emphasize is that because of the emergence of this new pathogen, some things that went really well was the genomics piece of it. We had very quick uh, turnaround times for people at the international level uh, identifying uh, these new strains of monkeypox, sequencing them, analyzing them, and having a good idea of where they're at um, relative to previous monkeypox strains. And having that better information, we now know it's like West African clade monkeypox as opposed to another type of monkeypox, right? Having that better information early on from genome sequencing technology um, and how it's implemented helps improve the messaging by giving people a much more precise picture of of what the pathogen is that they're they're trying to look at. Uh, and so, if you're able to implement that at a local scale, individual hospitals, in individual health departments, more effectively, then that's going to build trust, not necessarily at the like CDC informing the president and forming their you know the head of the NIH who's giving you know national briefings right that genomic infrastructure is already kind of there but if you think about the local health departments the, those are the workhorses of public health in this country the individual hospitals the community health centers the um the wastewater treatment plants right right if you're able to arm them with more accurate um surveillance technology through genomics then they have a better idea of what their flaws are in their preparedness, prevention, and control and response systems, or how they can uh, better, more quickly detect what's going on in the community so they can act, more, more, uh, fa- uh, act faster, or they can provide a, uh, a clearer, more concise message with more detailed information yep to their community and this is something i've talked about kind of on the more political side right which i don't want to get into much now but i i firmly believe that if you think about local politics that's where 90 percent of your life is affected right your local regional government i i believe the same thing about um public health right uh, local and regional public health, your local hospitals, your community health centers, your county health department, your uh, wastewater treatment plants, thats those are the entities that are really having a major influence on, on the protection of your health as you go on your day-to-day lives. And right. so if we can bridge genomics more effectively into those spaces, into those domains, as opposed to keeping it with the big budget organizations um, that generally do much more widespread surveillance across the country... I think it's going to help the public trust health infrastructure more because of those local level communications that come as a result of it. So, you know, not we're not going to be the we're not going to create ourselves as the messengers for this, but if we can start you know, making better connections and making things more efficient at local levels for these different uh, entities in these different communities, or get companies that have amazing technology to implement their technology in, different, um, in these different communities, it's going to help people at a local level much more effectively uh, than if we just tried to be another like blog or resource or another analytics company that's just pumping out data. Right? We want right. to be those, those force multipliers by making those connections more effective and more efficient so that the public are better informed what's going on in their communities.
1: Right. You're going to help the local infrastructure pass that information up in a way that communicates up the ladder what they're looking for and what the urgency is.
0: Yeah. And if that, if that, if solving those problems means going into a hospital and educating a bunch of infection preventionists on what is genomics, that's great. We're happy to do that. If that, if that involves talking to local health department leadership about uh, different ways that, uh, that you know, probably maybe making a budget change to hire a bioinformatician to do some local level surveillance. That's great. If that means that a local health department needs some specific support on bioinformatics surveillance, like, hey, we have no one else to do this. Can you just help us analyze what's going on for this problem? So, because we don't have an idea of what's going on. Just we have some genome sequences. We don't know what to do with them. Help us. We can plug in and be that short-term response and say, you know, give the the man a fish, right? And then teach the man to fish afterwards and helping them, you know, be self-sufficient afterwards. That's going to make a huge difference if we can go project by project at the local level. Um, and so that doesn't necessarily mean we just are only going to work with local level clients. We want to work with, you know, large companies. And if, if you know, state or federal departments want to work with us too, that's great. But I think that is a really great opportunity that I don't think is being fulfilled as effectively as it could be. And we want to be the difference makers in that realm.
1: Right. Again, because an infection starts small and if you can catch it locally, you have a better chance of containing it, right? Absolutely. Yeah, if you have better surveillance early on, I mean, that's, that's again, that happened with monkeypox,
0: right? Monkeypox has gone global. There's no doubt about that. But we caught it pretty early on. There was a right. very rapid response. And now we have a good idea of, of how things are going um, internationally because the surveillance infrastructure was there. And it seems like the uh, response and prevention infrastructure has has. Has built off of genomic surveillance really well, right? We have right. you we know, we have really good public health messaging. We had a really good understanding of where monkeypox was hitting in terms of the demographics that were getting most disproportionately affected. Having a better understanding of why that was happening, part of that equation was, you know understanding, hey, there's a new strain of monkeypox is kicking around and it's actually kind of similar. Where did it originate? Where has it gone? Where has it not gone yet? Okay, well, maybe this part of this country has not been affected by monkeypox yet because of the surveillance we have. Let's right. educate and let's let's be preventative and proactive so that eventually when monkeypox does hit that location, they're a little bit better prepared. That has gone pretty well. Has it gone perfectly? No, nothing in public health does. But if genomic sequencing and genomic surveillance can be better, then processes that are downstream from that surveillance are going to act faster on better information so that they can be more effective in their interventions to prevent and control disease transmission.
1: Correct. A virus spreads because people aren't communicating with each other fast enough. In part, but yes, absolutely.
2: And I I think that's one of the biggest things is, is that, you know, it's that whole, you know, How do we go from, oh, my God, this is doom and gloom, the end of the world pandemic to, you know, hey, we have a localized infection that seems to be spreading. Here's the genomics. Here's how how we understand the spread. Here's how we need to be working at this from a public health level, from a hospital level, you know, and... Uh Being able to, you know, have that communication of letting other people know, hey, we're seeing this rise. Check your local communities around here. Here's the standard messaging that we're working with. Here's the standard data sets that we're working with. Right. You know, it, it's it's one of those things. Like, I, think, I think all of us went, oh, shit, it's the end of the world when we saw COVID. But when it came to monkeypox, everybody was so jaded from that that they... Basically, just didn't want to have that same level of response, and I, I won't say that it's been you know lackluster, but I will say that it's certainly nothing compared to what COVID looked like. Yeah, and it, and
1: didn't, it didn't get the press. That but
2: but back. I but also too, you know, part of it is is that you know when you look at monkeypox versus COVID, it's you know number one, entirely different disease. Number two, you know, very you know, whilst there's some similarities in in mechanism of of transmissibility, it's. Not quite as doom and gloom. And I think, too, I think it's just, you know, the biggest thing is, is like figuring out how do we not end up with that whole, like, either we go to the extreme of, oh, my God, we're all, we're all dead to eh, whatever. Fuck it. If it we gets catch, me, it gets it, we catch
1: it early. People freak out when it gets too big, I think. And I think with monkeypox, it was addressed every day in a meaningful way you know, through messaging and through vaccinations. And I think that calmed the public down because we caught it early and people communicated better about what it was and how it was transmitted. And it was the whole messaging thing that COVID didn't have. COVID had an anti-side to it, then the monkeypox didn't, you know?
0: Yeah, I think there was there was definitely kind of a, a monkeypox skepticism, or you know, hey, they're just creating something else to you know, really know, mm-hmm. in the new world order. Yeah, there was I've seen a lot of messaging that's kind of been you know, monkeypox is is a scam, but mm-hmm. I think and there there were definitely some clear um, there was definitely some clear advantages that we had in the fight against monkeypox. Right, one was we did have vaccines that were at least moderately effective, mm-hmm. um, and we had a strategic national stockpile. Um, the, the another thing was that there were lessons that were learned from covid because of, from like the early response side of things to try to keep a kind of containment versus a mitigation strategy um has that worked perfectly no but it's been i feel like in many ways it's been a lot better but i think another really important piece it is that we were very quick on the draw for understanding that this new virus or this new strain of this virus had emerged out of you know you know west african you know it's 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 home geographic location, right? And a lot of that had to do with, you know, hey, there's samples of this new disease coming in. Let's get a genome sequence on it. Let's see how it compares to other genome sequences. Let's have availability of data yeah. to be able to make these comparisons internationally, right? Um, and it's, it's been a lot of that infrastructure has been built a lot because of covid because, in part, genomic epidemiology has become much more mainstream in public health, at least at the, and like I said, the international, state, federal levels, uh-huh. as opposed to you know, at the local and, and state levels, right? Individual, most individual hospitals, you know, most local health departments, whatever, even some of the states are not, not really as engaged in genomic technology for, for pathogen surveillance, monkeypox or otherwise. Um, yeah, but yeah. there was there was enough like international international collaboration for us to detect what was going on quickly, and that kind of steamrolled a lot of response and preparedness because we had a good idea of what the virus was just by doing the sequencing and then follow up testing as well and anal- analysis. But you know, really trying to kick genomics into high gear as public health means getting out of the big scale and going to local levels, going to individual hospital systems, going to states, going to regional departments. And that doesn't mean just talking to one person at a time, right? There's definitely companies that have amazing genomic technology that want to break into these markets as well. Can we facilitate those conversations so that their technology is better leveraged, right? Can we help support uh, different agencies or entities or public health uh, companies or whatever that don't have their internal genomics core that they can do analyses for? Can we kind of outsource that a little bit and support them um, while also helping them Ah, uh, build that up as well with some corporate strategy. Yes, absolutely. So we see ourselves as multifunctional. We want to be the kind of you know the multi-tools that have yeah. the familiarity in genomics and public health to fill these gaps. Uh, but I think the, the reflecting on SARS-CoV-2 versus monkeypox versus you know other diseases, there's definitely been a trend where genomic epidemiology has become uh, more mainstream. Uh, the communication has become more effective. Now let's get into that next order of magnitude of implementation by going more local and by connecting with individuals who aren't just genomics gurus, who can benefit from genomics technology in their public health work.
1: God, I love that. And that's what the epicenter does. Yep. Did you have any other questions, Jeffrey? I don't,
2: I okay. don't. This is, this will be, I think this is going to be exciting to see how, Yeah. you know, this will, how, how this venture works out for Dan and, you know, what all we're going to get to learn in the future, you know, as, as, as Dan gets the chance to pull all of this together, work with mm-hmm. multiple different stakeholders. And I, I think, <clears throat> I think we're definitely going to be entering a new era of information on how so. infectious diseases function and how we message for them and you know it's it's exciting for me because you know one leveraging technology that has become so much better so much faster so much more accurate but number two leveraging knowledge in order to get that information discussed in the proper way
0: right yeah, I think creating com- this creating these teams of folks who aren't just genomics people right getting right. people out of their silos creating these multifunctional teams and being the facilitators of that i think that's that's a really <clears> important goal <throat> to establish
1: creating and creating I, a new language out of two languages
0: yeah or at least connecting the two to be able to interpret right yeah, yeah. i, I want to give a huge shout out like obviously I'm, I'm, a, I'm a key part of this but i have two amazing colleagues alex sunderman and mustafa mustafa who are Um, Outstanding scientists, I've worked with them for years um, in kind of a translational research setting. Um, I really trust them. They have been incredible public health scientists. They are innovative, they are courageous, and they have done lots of really exciting and interesting work. I mean, Alex has a background not just in genomic epi, but as a hospital infection preventionist, has worked as a public health consultant in the past um and he he has this kind of this business strategy mind there he's implemented genomics in public health he's very well connected in the field and and very well respected uh, because of his his innovation and his his willingness to create new opportunities and mustafa uh he uh was trained as a physician uh in nigeria in his home country and then he came over uh, to the United States to train in epidemiology because of the trends and in infectious diseases that were happening in West Africa that were affecting his home his home country. Sure. He's, he's built up this expertise. And he has he learns so much so quickly. He is, a, he is the closest person to a guru that I think I've ever met. <laughs> he is always so wise. He has incredible um, uh, data analytics training that he's built himself. He's taught himself R, like the, the programming language R, um, he's, he's, and he's always willing to, to share what he knows and, and, and offer some new perspectives. So I think between the three of us, we have, we have, you know, some exciting skills to offer and we play off of one another really well. Uh, but I really just want to give credit to the team because it's not just my effort, right? This is, this is a team <laughs> effort with some great public health professionals that want to do something daring and, and, and transformative in the field. Uh, and we're already getting some traction from it, despite it being a very new company.
1: Of course you are. It's needed, it's valued, and it's something. We we went through this phase of, and I'm going to simplify it a lot to wrap it up, my it's it we decided that we shouldn't test so we didn't know or we should test so we should know and that's where the divide in America was and I find it fascinating that people wanted to put their heads in the sand when there's groups like you getting started to tell us ahead of time it's not you it's your neighbor and you could get it if you don't know so I believe in this surveillance I believe in genomic surveillance so that we know ahead of time what's going on. I don't want to, I don't ever want to have another COVID pandemic again, that could have been stopped if people had just been paying attention. So that's where I appreciate you from.
0: Yeah. There's definitely, like I've said before in the show before, there's going to be another pandemic worse than COVID. We just know Mm -hmm. that's going to happen, right? So if we can prepare public health infrastructure to be, to be ready to absorb that major impact, part of that equation is implementing 21st century technology for 21st century public health surveillance and the answer for that is genomics um, using genome sequencing getting that engaged uh, not just siloing it to the computational biologist but really making right. those connections you know use making policies and streamlining Response and preparedness protocols using this new technology, getting people engaged, getting people bought in, right? I think it's it's going to be a key part of pre- preventing or mitigating the next pandemic when it comes along, and I think in between now and whenever that is, hopefully later than sooner. But there's a lot of ways that it can be um, implemented in the diseases that we face every day, right? Foodborne infections, healthcare-associated infections that happen every day yeah. and kill thousands and thousands of people. There's there's applications for it right now, and we really want right to be now. those connectors, those facilities. that that bring people together to to forge solutions based on this amazing new technology that has just absolutely exploded in the last
1: 10 years. Agreed. I think you you say there's going to be a a next COVID, and I think there might have already been one that has been defeated because of people like you, because of the work that you're doing, because of people that actually research and take seriously the science behind viruses and so we don't even know what covid pandemics have been knocked down because of the work that you've done so we got to think about that covid was a missed opportunity but scientists all the time are catching things in the early stages and addressing them
0: and ounce well, of prevention is worth a pound of cure has been thank Frank god yes
1: america yes america <laughs> let's catch it early instead of freaking out later yep Thanks for being here, Dan.
0: Absolutely. Love, love supporting the show. Thank you guys for giving me some time to chat about my new venture and uh, I'll definitely keep you all posted and would love to come back and give an update at some point if you'd have me on.
1: You're always so welcome. Of course. Back. We have so much to talk about just besides that. But everybody should go to Epicenter Genomics on Twitter or you can go to Public Access Pod on Twitter and you'll find their tweets and then you can follow them. They have some interesting stuff. To those who would tear we will defeat you. This is our moment. This is our, this is our time. To those to who those seek who peace and, peace security, and security, security, we support, we support you. Support yes, you we can. You. And to all
2: Nasty place, nasty. and I don't place. care how don't tough care you are. It up. will beat you to it's your true. knees true. and keep you there permanently it's if you let it. it. If you or nobody, nobody is gonna hit as hard as life. Hard as life. Ask,
1: ask not. Yes, we can. What not your country can do for you. I have a dream. Ask what you can do for your. country.
2: My poor little children. Yes, we can. One day live in a nation where they. By character. I don't have to tell you things, are, you bad. Tell you things are bad, knows things everybody are bad. knows things are bad, it's a depression it's In a this depression. lifetime you don't have to prove nothing to nobody except yourself But it ain't about how hard you hit, it's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward How much you can take and keep moving forward That's how winning is done, winning is done.
1: Welcome, Welcome to public to access, access, access America. America
2: Yes we can
1: Sunday live streams Sunday live stream on YouTube
2: I wanted to run out of that tunnel my
1: dad on twitter, twitter apple podcast apple Podcasts, stitcher, smart, stitcher radio smart, smart radio, radio public radio and apple. spotify yes we, can. yes we can public access, public america. access history america history in the making history in making. History making, in the history. making history in the making in the